I would say the most important thing is, you know, if you have something that you want want to do, um, you know, put it on the calendar, you know, tell a friend. You don't have to tell a lot of people, but tell someone because if you tell someone, then it, it helps hold you accountable to that. And then, um, you know, from that point, I would say just take take these adventures very seriously. Know that you're you're kind of going out on a little bit of a limb sometimes, and you know it's a little bit riskier than staying at home and just sitting on the couch or just you know training from your house. Um, so take take the outdoors seriously and with a humble attitude and respectful attitude, um, and then you know as far as your fitness goes, like make sure you're fit for something like a, a big adventure and just be confident that your fitness is good. And then, and then just go for it. Sometimes you just have to just, just make the plan and execute. Like you said, Megan, I mean, just, um, just that first or first couple steps, you know, when I was starting out on the Colorado trail, like the first couple pedal strokes, riding up Waterson Canyon where the trail starts. And that's the hardest part is just getting moving. And then once you get moving, a lot of the fears that you have start to kind of shed away. And then you're just, you just end up being focused and you just, yeah, you just keep, keep that mental focus and get it done. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast fans, welcome back. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Runner's High, the only running specialty store here in Golden. You can check them out on the web at runnershighco.com. They've got a shop here in Golden, Colorado, and they just opened a second location in Morrison, Colorado, right there at the base of Red Rocks Amphitheater. So why do I love the folks at Runner's High? Well, Deb and Ken are an incredible couple. Both have extensive running backgrounds and pedigrees. They have a wealth of knowledge and experience. They are the ones that helped me back in 2015 when I started training for my first Ironman and was getting back into running. They put me on their treadmill there in their store and did a running gait analysis, helped me figure out what I needed for both training shoes as well as race day shoes. And I'll just share that they got me hooked on the Hoka 1-1 for training days and on the Newton lightweight running shoes for race day. And this protocol has worked beautifully for me for the last three years. Uh, it's also my only source of running and training nutrition both during and after I buy my scratch labs hydration mix at runner's high and they also just got me hooked on the tailwind nutrition vanilla recovery mix which I use after my workouts so they are fantastic they will absolutely help you get sorted with your running shoes as well as apparel and they sell some pretty amazing yoga pants too they are offering a discount to our listeners. If you mention that you are a Maximum Enthusiasm podcast fan, they'll give you 10% off running shoes and 20% off apparel. You can also just mention the last name Hotman, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, and you will be a friend for life with Runners High in Golden. So again, check them out, runnershighco.com.
Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. I am so excited to bring you today's guest. He is my friend, Danny. He's an airline pilot. He's also an endurance runner, an incredibly skilled mountain bike rider and racer. And just a couple days ago, he and I traveled to the Grand Canyon where we were both undertaking our own individual runs. Uh, Danny's is super impressive. He was tackling a solo rim to rim to rim run. And you'll hear him tell all about what that means in terms of what the route is, just how many miles and how many feet of elevation gain that that entailed. It was um, about a 13-hour endeavor of running. That's right, running. And he had a very heavy pack on his back with all of his essentials. It's just truly an extraordinary feat, and I got to see it in real time. It's so awesome to celebrate someone that you know when they set an really incredible, audacious goal for themselves. And it's just the solo undertaking. It's done quietly. It's done privately. It's not done at an event. It's not done with all these spectators. There's just something super um, humbling and just really inspiring about someone setting their own private goal, going out, setting a plan, like truly preparing and training for it, and then just completely executing it flawlessly and really celebrating that um, as a win for themselves. There's, I think, especially in the era of the pandemic with so many events being canceled, these solo undertakings um, have proven to be really significant and important for endurance athletes. And so Danny tells us all the specs and gives us the intel of his big adventure. I was out there. This was actually my very first time ever to the Grand Canyon. I can't believe I have gone my entire life without being there, but it's been on my list and I finally made it happen. And my objective was really to do some recon to see if maybe running just rim to rim eventually is something that I would be interested in doing that would require me having a driver or support crew waiting at the opposite rim to pick me up, which is quite a drive for a motorist to drive the circumference from uh, the north to the south. I will be candid. After running the amount that I ran on Tuesday, I did about a half marathon, basically dropped down in six and a half miles and then came back up from the Bright Angel trailhead. Um, I don't think that I need to go do rim to rim or rim to rim to rim. Um, This definitely cured me of that fantasy simply because the trail was far, far, far more challenging than I had anticipated. Um, After riding the white rim in Utah last year on the mountain bike, in my mind, this was going to be something similar to that. And it definitely is not. Uh, regardless of which trailhead you drop down in, whether you do Bright Angel or Kebab, um, Kaibab, it is incredibly big in terms of steps. And frankly, going down was much harder for me than coming back up was. I found the downhill descent to be very um, challenging. It definitely made my legs tired and shaky. I came up much quicker than I went down. I'm Um, Just not a fat and down fast hill runner in general, and then just navigating the terrain. It is definitely not a trail that you can ever tune out on. You have to stay mentally really, really sharp the whole time. I was very surprised with how raw and really beat up uh, my feet were from the day. Um, It's definitely the type of terrain that if one were to do the full run like Danny did, you would want to train on very similar or comparable types of trails just to get your feet really used to that. Uh, This was also the first time that I had a fully loaded hydration pack on my back and my shoulders. And so with that extra weight, my um, neck and my traps 
definitely got fairly sore. Um, it was a great experience. I had a great day out there. I was out there for about four hours. It was really fun to be at the campsite when Danny came back in at the end of his day. And it, the whole thing was just such a positive experience. We camped at the Mather campground, really a beautiful place to be, super clean bathrooms. Um, I Googled, I'm sorry, I blogged about our entire experience over at meganhotman.com. I've got a blog going there where I'm posting my van adventures. And so I've got a bunch of our photos from this experience over there at that website if you want to check it out. Um, I want to switch gears for a second here in this intro and talk about something else that I've been using a lot lately that I'm pretty obsessed with. It is a continuous blood glucose monitor. I think I may have mentioned it a couple episodes ago, but I've been wearing it give or take for the last couple months now. It is a sensor that um, has a really fine little needle that pokes into the back of your tricep and uh, tracks in real time what foods and exercise, meditation, sleep, um, drinks, just anything that you're ingesting or doing, what it does to your blood sugar. And this has been a really big source of revelation for me in terms of food timing, food combinations, um, also things that are happening during events. I just raced a mountain bike race last Saturday, four or five days ago, and um, had some Scratch Labs uh, drink mix beforehand, also had some Cliff Blocks beforehand. A lot of that's obviously pure sugar, but then that in combination with the full gas, um, really high intensity race effort did some interesting things to my blood sugar. I've also learned that if I want to imbibe in some of the sweet treats that I really love, things like licorice or even grapefruit, that it's really best to pair foods that are that high in sugar with something else that is higher in fat and protein, and really even taking a step further, um, there's a nutritionist that is reviewing my data with, within the, the sensor company and the app. And so she has helped me um, navigate this and even has made the suggestion that I ingest the higher fat or higher protein food prior to eating the higher sugar food. So um, one of the other adjustments we've made uh, since I am in Arizona and there's fresh grapefruit down here, which is just such a delight is timing foods like that with being consumed immediately after exercise during that glycemic window. So um, the company is called NutriSense, and I will have a link in the show notes and on the website, MaximumEnthusiasm.com, if you want to save $25 on your first sensor. I'm telling everyone I know about these, not because I get any um, kickbacks. It will save me $25 if I order another sensor, but I'm not being paid to promote them. I'm telling everyone I know about this because I think this is really the next best step in terms of dialing in our best optimization, our best optimized state, um, really dialing in our physical you know, state of thriving and well-being by being super curious about what foods are doing to us and our blood sugar um, prompting insulin release all the things that then contribute to the body no longer burning fat as an energy source. Um, if our glycogen stores are fully topped off, the body then storing extra sugar as fat. When we start talking about um, obesity issues or diabetes or pre-diabetic states being far more prevalent now in our young people and just in our population in general, I think something like this is a really huge critical step instead of just telling people to eat clean and exercise Let's be curious about what your specific body and your specific digestive system 
and metabolism do with the specific foods that you tend to eat and drink. Um, and with the sensor, I've also been experimenting with um, intermittent fasting and what that looks like, and also meditation. Um, one of the big things that they emphasize is cortisol levels and the way that that also impacts blood sugar and, um, and insulin. And so really working on meditation and stress reduction in the context of blood sugar management. So again, it's NutriSense. Um, I believe the website is NutriSense.io. Um, there's a really cool app and the app, uh, the phone itself is what you use to scan the sensor on the back of your arm. So it's a really cool, high-tech, um, pretty neat system. The sensor stays on your arm for two weeks, and then you take it off, throw it away, and then you start with a fresh sensor on the back of your other arm. So I've had lots of people asking me about it. What is that thing on the back of your arm? I've been answering a lot of questions about it. I'm a huge fan and proponent and believer of it. And finally, I'll just close in saying um, last month, March, I had my first you know, true mountain bike race it was a three-day race, finished dead last, learned lots of lessons, some of which were things I already knew from bike racing but needed to be reminded of. This last Saturday, as I said, I raced a mountain bike race and um, ended up pulling out the win in my age group in the intermediate women category, was over the moon about how well it went. A big part of that came down to proper nutrition and proper warm-up and also, frankly, just putting myself in the racing headspace, actually giving myself permission to act like a bike racer and take it seriously. And so it went really well. I'm thoroughly enjoying this journey I'm, I'm on in mountain biking. It's been so fun to mix it up and not just be out on the road bike all the time, but really doing some, some new and challenging things on the mountain bike. And I continue to really enjoy slash get nervous and be afraid um, of the uh, ceasingly unending learning curve that is mountain biking. So on that, I'm going to leave you with Danny's interview. We're going to talk about running the rim, the Grand Canyon, uh, the Colorado Trail, all kinds of good stuff. For those of you that are endurance and uh, adventure junkies out there, you are going to love this one. And um, thanks, as always, for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Danny Harper, welcome to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. How are you today, my friend? Good, Megan. How are you? I'm good, thanks. You just told me before we started recording, this is your first ever podcast, huh? It is. It is. I'm pretty nervous. Are you? Oh, well, don't, A, don't be <laughs> nervous. We'll have fun. We'll just be talking like a couple friends. And B, okay. thanks for your willingness to do this. I think you have a really good story to share. And I'm so excited to bring this to the ears of the listeners of the show. Uh, for those of you tuning in today, Danny and I are back from a really awesome adventure in the Grand Canyon, and Danny just successfully ran the rim to rim to rim, which was about how many miles and how many feet of elevation did you end up with? I ended up with uh, 55 miles and uh, just over 11,000 feet. Unbelievable. And so tell our listeners who may not be familiar with what rim-to-rim-to-rim -to -rim -to -rim means. What does that entail? Um, from a little bit of research that I've done about it, it's uh, become kind of a popular challenge for ultra runners to do as part of their running career and training. And um, looking at some other runners that have done it, um, 
most people it seems like start on the South Kaibab Trail and go out and back to that trailhead. And that's kind of the um, starting point as far as where people are measuring their times from. So that, that distance is like 42 miles okay. um, from the South Rim to the North Rim and back on the Kaibab Trail. Um, sorry, are you still there, Megan? Yep, we're good. You're good. Okay. Um, so, so the official, um, measuring point is from the top of the South Kaibab Trail to the North Rim and then back. And, um, that's 42 miles, 11,000 feet. And I started doing this with, um, my friend Garrett, uh, a couple years back. And this is this is my third time doing it, but uh, we've always started from the Mather Campground, and which adds um, about four to six miles depending on which way you start. But we've always done Mather Campground to um, Bright Angel Trailhead, down Bright Angel, up to the North Rim, and then back um, up to the South Rim on the South Kaibab Trail. So that adds um, some extra mileage. So yeah, something like 54 to 55 miles was what I clocked on my GPS when I did it this week. You sure did. I was there with the, I saw the watch and took the photos. So I can attest to the, the, the numbers that were showing on your watch screen, which were super impressive. Um, and I'm going to post a couple of the pictures I took of you when you finished, but for our listeners just listening to this, I just have to emphasize how amazingly fresh and put together you looked when you finished I would have been covered in like snot and sweat I would have had food stuff stuck to me I would have probably had like my hat on crooked and my socks would have been messed up and I would have had blisters and I would have been you know hobbling and instead you came really effortlessly it appeared jogging back to the campsite and um Obviously, I know the work you've put into the weeks prior to this. So will you talk about the preparation and really what you put into this to, you know, finish so successfully and looking fresh as a daisy? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been running for a long time now, about almost 20 years or so. And just over time, I've kind of progressed with the distance and the um the elevation gain, both of those, you know, I've, I've sort of just progressed. And I think, I think these, I think running is something that you kind of, it kind of stays with you as long as you're consistent. So, um, haven't really taken a lot of breaks during that time. So I think just over time, that consistency is just helped me, but specifically for a run like this, um, here in Phoenix, we have great running trails. So I'm always, uh, trying to run on the trails, um, run with some kind of elevation gain. Um, I don't think it does as much good to run flats, but um, it certainly does help as far as just getting your feet and joints used to being, um, you know, running for X amount of hours at a time. But really, I really try to do a lot of elevation gain. And um, one of the best spots around here in Phoenix is, Shaw Butte, which is a pretty popular trail that's not too far away from my house. And um, 
I usually try to build up for maybe like two reps up and down Shaw Butte. Um, and I built up this time to six. Wow. So each one, each one of those is, uh, three miles round trip with about 750 feet of elevation and it's real rocky. And, um, so it's a good mix of not just the running, you know, fitness aspect, but also the technical, um, running up and downhill aspect too. So it's, it's a really good spot to train for this. And so my max, um, I think my biggest day doing those was about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. And like I said, I did six reps and ended up with, I think a little over 4,000 feet of climbing and maybe 17 miles. So it, it really does represent the kind of elevation you'll see it something like Grand Canyon. But um, yeah, over time, I just, I started training for this probably five to six weeks ago. And um, I already had some uh, fitness because I'm a cyclist as well. So I spent a lot of winter time cycling and just kind of main, maintaining 20 to 30 mile a week running base um, in addition to the cycling. So it was pretty easy for me to build the miles once I was committed to doing Grand Canyon. And um, I just worked up from maybe like 40 the first week up to um, 50 and then like 70 the last biggest week that I did. And then um, the week before doing this or last week, I just sort of ran really super easy to a couple of easy mountain bike rides and tried to stretch and roll and continue with just some basic core work and try to let my body recover. And that's usually what I do before an event is just take that week prior relatively easy. I don't like taking, taking it completely off, but just taking it easy and letting everything recover and get stronger. Well, your preparation obviously paid off. Uh, you seemed really happy with how the day went in terms of execution. You didn't have any blisters on your feet. You seem like your nutrition and your hydration strategies worked. Um, for the listeners, I also want to emphasize that you had a pretty large pack on your back. So will you tell us some of the things that you brought along and kind of your thought process on, uh, I don't know if you were tracking calories or if you were just eating as you felt hungry or kind of what your nutrition strategy was, the way that you put that all together so well? Yeah, um, certainly was not tracking calories or anything like that. Um, I really just go by feel. Um, but I think for a for this type of, of run and event where you're going to, you're going to encounter different temperatures and weather. Um, it's really important to obviously, um, stay on top of the hydration. It was getting to the point at the end of my run where I could tell even, you know, just really being consistent with my, my water intake, I was still probably a little bit behind on my hydration. Um, and I tried not to carry more than a liter and a half at a time just for weight savings um, because there are places to get water uh, down at Phantom Ranch and then also at uh, Manzanita, which is kind of the base of where you start up the North Rim. There's water available on both of those places. So, um, yeah, I just um, try to keep on top of that hydration and also 
not get my pack so heavy that, that it's also a burden. But as far as food goes, um, most of my food, just I just go to a gas station and find a mix of savory foods like um, beef jerky and some cheese, pretzels, potato chips, um, things that are a little bit salty. And then also um, I try to get in some sweet things, cookies, um, chocolate, gummy bears, yes. licorice, that, that sort of thing. And I know Megan likes the licorice as well. <laughs> and the gummy bears, so always. good. <laughs> and, and the gummy bears. But um, yeah, it's hard to tell what exactly I'll be wanting um, at any given point. But it seems like I was kind of craving a little more of the savory foods this time. And probably because it was a little hotter out. And um, I really felt like... Yeah, eating eating the potato chips was a nice treat. The beef jerky was a nice treat. Um, it's also important, even if you're not hungry, I've noticed you re- really need to kind of force the food down. Sure. Um, and I think if you do that, like it's after a few minutes of digestion, you really feel much better. So it's important to not necessarily trust your hunger all the time and, and really try to eat even when you're not hungry. So, um, I definitely came back and had lots of food left. So I, I mean, obviously I wanted to have extra in case I was, or if I did get stuck overnight or something like that, um, have extra in the bag just in case. And then, um, other equipment, I usually run with poles. Um, I ran with poles most of the time during this run, but I, I did put them on my back for part of it. Um, it's kind of a feel thing. Sometimes it's nice to just not have those in your hands, mm. um, but other times it is really nice to have. Um, I wear two pairs of socks, uh, kind of a short ankle high uh, merino wool sock and then a longer merino sock on top of that. And that's, I don't know wh- why exactly I started doing that, but um, I tried it once or twice and I kind of liked the way it felt. So I've been doing that for most of my bigger, bigger runs and seems to help with just keeping my feet fresh and, um, no blisters no, to speak of. That's so crazy. Everything felt pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then I always bring like a puffy jacket and a rain jacket, some waterproof gloves, um, headlamp, of course, some extra batteries, uh, bring my Garmin inReach, which is a really important tool to have in case you have an issue. You can, um, send for emergency rescue if you really needed to, or you can text your family members or friends if things are slower than you were expecting. And it's just a, it's a great little device to have and good, good insurance. And just as a responsible, responsible outdoor person, it's, it's important to have something like that. So for sure, um, carry that. And then, and then otherwise, um, the usual toilet paper in case, you know, you have to, yep. Go number two yep. out of the out of the blue. Um, that's important, and then um, a few extra little bags in case for trash and things like that. And um, I also brought a few like single serving um, packets of scratch, and that was a nice treat as well, just to get that sweet um, flavor and some water. And I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say that's about it, I mean, nothing on that list 
can be cut. Uh, but it's significant to note that your pack on your back was not small and you figured it probably weighed close to 15 pounds when we sort of took inventory of it. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think about 15 pounds and depending on how much water was in there, you know, it kind of fluctuated a little bit, but yeah, wow, definitely. But yeah, you kind of have to, um, because there's no support, you don't want to just do something like that without having some extra stuff in case you get stuck down in the canyon. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, just to provide some context, so uh, the run was two days ago, so it was April 13th of 2021 when you did this, and the weather was pretty perfect. I was shocked at how much hotter it was down at the bottom. It was somewhere between 80 to 100 degrees at the bottom versus up at the top where you started and finished and where we were camping. It was closer to probably, you know, 50-some degrees so I imagine you were pulling layers on and off throughout this as well. Yeah, um, I started I started pretty early on the south rim, um, about 4.30 in the morning, and I, I'm guessing it was in the upper 30s. And um, so had a puffy jacket on, arm warmers, little beanie, um, and gloves. And about 20 to 30 minutes into my run down the canyon, um, all of those things kind of went away and it started to get warmer as, as I descended. So, um, basically didn't really need any other layers for the rest of the run until I started to get back up, um, the South rim. And then it started to get a little cooler towards the later afternoon time. And that's when I threw on some arm warmers to get me back to the campground. But, uh, it was definitely hot at the bottom for mm -hmm. sure. It was, it was definitely in the eighties probably when I was down there. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, but I mean, it also makes sense, right? Because we're talking about a difference of anywhere from five to 6,000 feet in um, elevation, depending on where you are from the top to the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you figure it's like the standard lapse rate, something like, like around two degrees Celsius per thousand feet of ascent or descent, you know, so it's, um, you know, 15 degrees worth of temperature difference between the top sure. and the bottom in, Cel in Celsius. So yeah. Makes total sense. Quite a bit. And yeah. so you left, as you said, 4.30, it was dark. You struck out with your headlamp, dropped down from Bright Angel. Um, and for the, and the listeners that may not have been to the Grand Canyon or aren't familiar with this, basically the route that Danny took is a bit more of a V shape because he basically dropped in from like the west side of the south rim, made his way up towards the north rim and then came back on the east exit of the south rim, which is the Kaibab that you mentioned. Um, so you made a bit more of a V-shape. So like you said, it ended up being about 55 miles, and you were back to our campsite right around 5 o'clock, um, give or take. So your, your actual moving time was, what, 12-something, 12 12.48? My moving time was actually under 12. I looked at it. Oh, wow. And, um, the total time from, you know, starting the run to finishing was like 12.50. Yeah. Impressive. Like and that. really, it seemed at least that you, it was pretty much right on point with the goal that you had set for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, the previous two times that I've done this, like I said, was with, uh, with friends and uh, the first time was kind of our first go at it, and it took us a while. It took us about 17 hours 
Um, but we were stopping quite a bit and um, not not going, you know, we didn't really have a reason to go super fast. We were just sort of enjoying ourselves. And then um, the last time I did it, last October, uh, we were able to get a little bit faster. I think we did like 14 hours and change. And um, this time just doing it by myself, I just felt like the more time I spent not moving, the harder it becomes. So I just really tried to minimize the time I was not moving. And um, so that's kind of the difference probably. And I, I felt a little bit fresher this time around than I did last, last time. So I think the combination of those two were, were kind of contributing factors to just the faster overall time. So generally speaking, you weren't stopping and having snacks. You were kind of eating on the go. Even if you were walking, you were still moving while you were doing whatever, ingesting calories or drinking. Yeah, exactly. I I was trying to eat while I was moving. I mean, I did have to stop a couple times, like to put sunscreen on, um, to have a little bit bigger of a meal, um, to mix water and scratch, that sort of thing. So I was, I did have to stop a little bit and um, I even did stop on the way back at Phantom Ranch because the uh, lovely little cantina down there was serving lemonade, so I couldn't pass that oh, up. Nice. So I got a couple glasses, of, a couple glasses of lemonade down there, and that was a nice treat. And uh, but yeah, so I just tried to minimize that time that I wasn't moving, though. Otherwise, gotcha. And even though the day went super smoothly, and I would say almost perfectly according to plan, what was really the toughest part of the day or the toughest part of the trail for you, whether it was mentally or physically? Um, I think the hardest part of the trail, you know, really is coming back up South Kaibab because it's not really runnable. It's just too steep and the stair steps are massive so it's just hard to get into any kind of rhythm and so you're just doing like big giant steps to uh to hike up and it takes you know it's seven miles from phantom ranch to the top and most of that is just big giant hiking steps Mm. and it's it's slow going you know i was trying to do three miles an hour and i think i was just under that going back up and um and that's you know you're also sort of feeling the heat from the bottom of the canyon as you start up. Um, I was feeling just a little bit nauseous at times, but, um, and you know, it's, it's hard to eat when you're feeling that way. But again, like I said before, it's, it's really important to just continue to kind of force the food down. And after you do that, you do feel better. And, and then also just, you know, making sure that you're drinking enough water because it's, I mean, I think I started from the bottom at Phantom Ranch to the top. I started with like two to two and a half liters of water. And I was, you know, I knew it was going to take me two and a half to three hours. So if you're taking a drink every five to 10 minutes, you know, you could pretty easily run out of water if you're not careful and, you know, not moving quick enough. So um, I think I finished at the top with maybe like three quarters of a liter. So I still had some left, but, um, but yeah, that was, that's always the biggest challenge. And then, and then just running back to the campground is, right. you know, it's still another four miles from, yeah. from there, which is Blacktop. a little de- demoralizing. Yeah. A little demoralizing, but you know, it's, I don't know, we've 
the times I've done it with my friends before, that's what we've done. So I just decided to just keep with that tradition and do it that way. Amazing. And I was really interested to learn about you that you have not been a lifelong runner. You've been running a lot in recent years, but you didn't come up as a runner in like high school or, or running collegiately. So where, where did this start? I mean, you're also a really super skilled mountain biker. So where did Danny, the athlete start? Um, it's a, it's a good question. I think I never saw myself really as an athlete, um, growing up, even, you know, I played baseball up until high school and then I was just too small and skinny to compete with the other guys that were playing at the time. And, um, and I, I never really considered running as an option in high school. So, um, I actually started running in college and it may sound crazy, but I think it was because I was trying to get over a girl. I think I had my heart broken or something and, and I needed some kind of outlet. Um, Makes total sense. So I started running. Yeah. I started running um, maybe three days a week for half hour to 45 minutes during college. Um, I went to school in Daytona beach. So I would run on the beach and that was just a nice way to like, burn off steam and clear my head and, you know, especially after going to school all day and then just needing that outlet. And, and I don't think I really did any sort of running race until, I don't know, sometime in college, I probably did a 10 K um, and didn't really do anything longer than that until after college. And I don't know, I just uh, sort of fell in love with running um, and just, it just became a part of my life, you know, over time. And I never really expected to do a, even a marathon. Um, but, you know, just like everyone says, like, I'll never do a marathon. <laughs> and then you finally, you know, you do a half marathon and then you're ready to do a marathon. And then, you know, you, you say you'll never do anything longer than that. But then it turns <laughs> into a 50K or, you know, something, something different. So I think it was just a process over time. And, um, and as far as being a, a mountain biker, I, I definitely mountain biked, you know, in middle school and some in high school, but I was, I just didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really have any mentors, you know, I didn't know how to train. I was just sort of doing it on my own and, and I enjoyed it, but it was, it was, it wasn't structured really. So, um, I wouldn't say I really became a, you know, a cyclist until my mid twenties. And, um, I got into triathlon. I did that for four or five years. Um, but I'm a terrible swimmer. So I, and I didn't enjoy swimming. So I decided, you know, why am I doing this if I don't enjoy it? So I've really always kind of gravitated towards running and cycling and, and then, um, yeah. And then I, that combined with just my love of the mountains, you know, it made sense to be a mountain biker and a trail runner. And, and that's, really where my passion is, I guess, in, in the sports, even though I love, I love road cycling and I do a lot of that. And, um, I love the camaraderie you, you get in a big group ride and I always get pushed very hard on my road bike and I love it. Um, but you know, most of my time I would say, and my passion lies in, in the mountains, either on the mountain bike or trail running. And I just feel like both you can experience different things on the two different 
you know, either running or cycling, like you can't do the Grand Canyon on a bike. So right. you kind of have to do it on, do it on your feet. And, but at the same time, you know, you can't experience, you know, the speed and the, the, the technical, um, skill required to ride your bike fast down a bike park. So it's, I think they complement each other in a lot of ways and, and it's, and it keeps, each one fresh and like fun. Well, you've obviously figured out a way to put them together where one is benefiting the other. For example, you were using your mountain bike to even assist you in training for this. And then you are totally a crazy person and you've signed up for the lead man this summer in Leadville, which is a combination of the hundred mile mountain bike race, as well as a hundred mile trail run and some other stuff in there. So I know this run was really a big mental and physical prep for that event. Um, but tell us, tell us what Leadman includes. What, what does that entail? So Leadman is, um, is a combination of all the races that happen in Leadville, um, each summer. And it's the marathon, which is in June. That's a trail marathon. Um, then you can either choose to do the 50 mile mountain bike race or a 50 mile trail run in July. So it made more sense for me to do the mountain bike race, I think just from a recovery perspective. So I'll be doing the mount, the 50 mile mountain bike race in July. And then in August you do the hundred mile mountain bike race followed the next day by a 10 K trail run. And then the week after that, you do the 100-mile trail run, um, the famous Leadville um, 100. So um, you do five events, and the Leadman is just your combined time um, of all five. And, you know, it's for me, it makes sense to do because I do both sports, and I feel like I excel when I can somehow combine the two. Um, I'm not a... I'm good at both, but I'm not a phenomenal mountain biker and I'm not a phenomenal runner, but if I can do both, then I feel like I can have some success. And so, um, I've always loved racing in Leadville. I've done the 50 runs a couple times and the 50 bikes a couple times and have done pretty well. And, uh, I love the town and I, I think the history of the events is, is just cool to be a part of. So, um, really love, love that whole aspect of it too. And just being a part of that. I think, <laughs> I think that all just makes me tired listening about it all. It's <laughs> just so much. Yeah. Oh, that hundred mile trail run, especially that just seems so daunting to me, but I imagine after doing what you just did at 55 miles, given the insane elevation gain that you did in the Grand Canyon of 11,000, um, Leadville will not gain that much, even though it'll be a hundred miles, right? The elevation gain will be less. Oh, I think it's, I think it's still quite a bit. I think it's still around 18 to 20,000. Oh, wow. If I remember, um, I need to go and look at that, but, um, yeah, I mean, certainly Grand Canyon is a great way to train for it. I feel like this run night of this week, will stay with me until August when I do the 100, which I've never done a hundred mile run race before. So it'll be, um, 
it'll be a new challenge for me and it's something I want to do as a runner. I don't know if I'll do more <laughs> hundreds after this, but um, I just felt like uh, it was, you know, I feel like I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be for it. And I'm not getting any younger. I'm 39. So now's the time to try it and go for it. And, but yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, being able to complete Grand Canyon on my own without any support um, will definitely help my confidence mentally and, and also the physical part too will stay with me until then. I would say for sure the mental aspect, I can completely understand why being able to do this alone gives you such a boost because at Leadville, there will be, uh, you know, other humans around and there will be support stations and things. So this was obviously a really great step in the right direction for that. And, um, it's funny you mentioned that you, you consider yourself a bad swimmer. I think, you know, in triathlon, we all think that we're pretty awful at at least one of the three legs, but I did note that a few years ago you were coaching the, um, ASU triathlon team. So I was just curious how you got into that coaching collegiate athletes. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I got into my, I got into triathlon in my mid twenties and, um, I spent at least, I don't know, probably five years doing that pretty consistently. And, um, I, I worked on my master's degree up at Colorado state in Fort Collins and got involved with the triathlon club there. And, um, and it was, I really enjoyed it. It was so much fun. Um, the people were great. We, we had a great time racing and just, um, ended up with a really cool community of, student athletes when I was there and um, I ended up moving back to Phoenix for work when I was 32, 33 and got, you know, kind of got wind that the Arizona state triathlon club was looking for a coach or two. So I sort of reached out to some people and ended up doing that for a year and a half with another, um, another guy who's also a really great runner and cyclist. And we kind of partnered together to coach that team. And it, it was a great, great experience for me. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I just enjoyed being a part of that. So that's kind of why I got into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as offering good swimming coaching, I don't know if I was the right person <laughs> for that job. <laughs> by any means. Well, you probably yeah. made up for it with the running and the cycling coaching, even if you did leave a little bit to be desired on the swim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so. So, yeah, but it was a great experience. You mentioned moving back here for work and we, I meant to preface this at, at the beginning, uh, lest our beginners think that all you do, our readers think, excuse me, our listeners think that all you do is, <laughs> is run and ride. You're actually an airline pilot and if I'm not mistaken, that's part of why you also love running is the ability to do that when you are working, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yep. Um, my real job is, is an airline pilot. I fly for Southwest. I've been doing the airline thing for 17 years now. So a long time since I was about 23. And um, yeah, it's been a great job because it has allowed me the time to continue with my, you know, cycling and running. And it gives me great opportunities to have the time to do that. Um, 
And during the pandemic, I was, uh, they, my company offered paid leave of absences um, in order to try and save money. So I ended up doing that for two years. So I'm kind of uh, not quite halfway through that time frame. Um, I think I'll get called back this year, actually. So, but if I can get a year out of it, it'll be great. I mean, I've gotten an opportunity to work at a bike shop here in Scottsdale, which has been an amazing experience and um, just continued to be able to ride and run and have some cool adventures. So, um, but yeah, uh, that is my, that is my, that was my passion growing up was airplanes and it still is in a lot of ways, but I, I always gravitate now towards, towards the bike and the run and, and, you know, flying is amazing and I'm lucky to be in that position to do all of them. Totally. You've put them together in a really, yeah, you've put your profession um, together with hobbies that bring you a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment. And I got to watch that firsthand on Tuesday. I think, you know, it's one thing when we tackle these big events, you know, like an Ironman or like a lead man where there are spectators and where you have support and, you know, eyes on you and sort of people keeping score and announcers and music and whatever. And to me, what's super impressive about what you did on Tuesday is the fact that it's just you doing it by yourself for yourself. No one knows that you're doing it. No one's out there cheering for you. Um, no one's, you know, uh, helping you keep tabs on your own goals or, you know, like you're a hundred percent being accountable to yourself. And I think in so many ways, that's such a harder undertaking, at least for me, because I think that external stimulation is so um, motivating and inspiring when you've got all that stuff going on around you. So where does that headspace come from? You know, where does the Danny Harper ability to like put his head down and do really hard things by himself for himself without needing that external, you know, validation come from? Because that's that's a pretty special kind of drive. Yeah, um, I I've always been super independent. Um, I love racing with people, you know, cheering me on, or in me cheering other people on. I I love that um, experience, and that's it's extremely energizing and an incredible feeling. Um, But I think for me, you know, I. I find like I like I like to challenge myself internally as well and see what I can do within myself to um accomplish some goals but I also feel like you know it's hard sometimes to find the right people to do these things with and I've found great people to do a lot of my solo, my, a lot of adventures with, but sometimes I feel like if you don't commit to doing something, whether it's with or without other people, then you won't get it done. So, I mean, like I did the Colorado trail on my bike in September and that was, I did that by myself and ultimately to find someone else that'll be able to do that with you and get the time off and, you know, organize and plan it is, is really a challenge. Um, you know, people do it together for sure, but I think I decided that, you know, to experience life to the fullest, you have to sometimes take that leap that, you know, you, you do stuff on your own that, yeah, it would be cool to do it with someone else, but 
if you are waiting for that person to do it with, then you may not ever get it done. So I think it's important to have that, you know, you set goals and yeah, you, if you find the right person to do them with, then great. But if, if you don't, then I think it's really important to follow through still and, and still do them because, you know, if you don't, you're not going to get those chances back. Totally. Well, and this trip was a perfect example. I've been talking since last fall about how I was going to go run rim to rim. And I had a friend I was trying to nail down to go with me. And she and I had kind of tentatively talked about April. And then as April grew closer, it just didn't look like it was going to happen. And it was a daunting enough undertaking that I didn't really want to tackle it on my own, kind of having never set eyes on the Grand Canyon. And, you know, there are certain risks and adventures I'll go on by myself. And then there's sometimes where I have to kind of, you know, be smarter about it. And so then suddenly sure. you, you were like, hey, I'm going to go run rim to rim to rim and I've got this campsite booked and they'll allow two cars. And so then that's how it came to be that I got to finally see the Grand Canyon thanks to you and run part of the rim and be out there thanks to you. And um, just was so in awe and respect of the way that you executed that perfect day and, and just how not not shattered you looked when you finished it was pretty amazing I still can't get over that (laughs) (laughs) well just because I didn't look like it it doesn't mean I oh my gosh I don't know I was pretty smashed yeah no I was pretty smashed but no it was it was great to have you there honestly it was it was a lot of fun to camp and yes talk and hang out with your your dog for sure so it was I'm I'm really glad it worked out this time like it it was awesome well, and since you mentioned it, if you're willing, will you take our listeners through sort of the abbreviated Cliff Notes version, if that's even a thing, of the Colorado Trail, which you did on your mountain bike? I think you said you did it in, what, 11 days? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, last summer I was supposed to do Leadman, but because of the pan- pandemic, it got canceled. Um, so I needed to figure something else out to train for, and... Um, my, my adventure partner, Garrett, who I mentioned before, he's, um, he's always doing crazy things and, um, pushing himself. And he's a, he's a big inspiration for me, but he's done the Colorado trail a couple of times. So I started talking to him about it and asking him if he thought I could, something I could do. And, and he was, uh, you know, he said, sure, you can definitely do it. And, um, yeah, so I just, uh, decided that's what I was going to do instead of, the Leadville races. Um, and you know, it took me all summer to plan for it and get all the gear together and train for it. And ultimately it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. You know, it was an incredible trip. I, it was, I did it on my own and carried all my camping gear on my bike. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was the biggest, you know, personal endeavor I've ever done. Um, the trail goes from Durango or from Denver to Durango and it's like 550 miles and, you know, you go up and down all kinds of mountains and, um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a big undertaking and just trying to keep mentally focused and spending nights on my own, you know, in my little tiny tent, um, and just trying to, I don't know, just keep that mental focus and fit, fitness wise, I was good. I felt like, I think I was in good shape for it. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just something that, I don't know. I love the, I love the Rocky mountains and it was just the great, greatest way to experience them. And 
and that that trip will always be a part of me. And what did you tell me? Just a little bit of climbing, like 75,000 feet of gain? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was something like 75,000. And uh, you, it's not a biking trail by any means. It, it's definitely a hiking trail. So I would say I probably hiked 100 miles of it out of the 550. Um, so it was a lot of hike a bike too. Oof. But, you know, it was just, it was, yeah, just trying to get, get into a rhythm and, you know, I, there's a couple spots I remember where, you know, you're literally pushing your bike like up a 45 degree, you know, slope. Wow. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's pretty wild, but the, you know, the views were incredible. The, uh, the experience was incredible. Yeah. It was just uh, it was a special trip for me for sure. Well, I always like to impart some more generalized nuggets of wisdom on listeners rather than sort of specific stuff like you know the show's called maximum enthusiasm and sort of how do you I love just bringing guests on like you where you're talking about just executing some of these plans and dreams that you've made for yourself so just in a more general sense and you've alluded to a few of these areas of of thought already but what advice would you give people who maybe have these things on their bucket list or their whatever kind of list you want to call it these aspirational objectives or goals or athletic accomplishments things that they want to go do for themselves because they think it would be really amazing and meaningful you know what what advice do you have for people to actually it's one thing to talk about it but it's another to to go do it yeah um i would say i would say the most important thing is you know if you have something that you want want to do um you know put it on the calendar you know tell a friend you don't have to tell a lot of people, but tell someone because if you tell someone, then it, it helps hold you accountable to that. And then, um, you know, from that point, I would say just take, take these adventures very seriously. Know that you're, you're kind of going out on a little bit of a limb sometimes. And, you know, it's we're a little bit riskier than staying at home and just sitting on the couch or just, you know, training from your house. Um, so take take the outdoors seriously and with a humble attitude and respectful attitude. Um, and then, you know, as far as your fitness goes, like make sure you're fit for something like a, a big adventure and just be confident that your fitness is good. And then, and then just go for it. Sometimes you just have to just, just make the plan and execute. Like you said, Megan, I mean, just, um, just that first or first couple steps, you know, when I was starting out on the Colorado trail, like the first couple pedal strokes riding up Waterton Canyon where the trail starts, and that's the hardest part is just getting moving. And then once you get moving, a lot of the fears that you have start to kind of shed away. And then you're just, you just end up being focused and you just, yeah, you just keep keep that mental focus and get it done. And off you go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. That simple. So you talked about respecting the outdoors. I'm glad you touched on that. I know we've seen a huge increase in Colorado of search and rescue having to go out and get people that are ill-equipped and ill-prepared for things. You know, we've had a lot more avalanche issues this winter with a lot of um, – mm-hmm 
Um, and even just, like I said, just search and rescue in general is up like 200x because of people um, yeah. putting themselves in places of, of, of peril that potentially could have been avoided with a bit more preparation or a bit more training. So my question for you is, you know, you're obviously very adept and um, skilled at doing these outdoor activities. I've watched you set up camp a few times. Like, you know, you talked about the Garmin inReach, some of these things that are really essential where have where have you learned how to really kind of navigate the seriousness of the great outdoors and or what would you recommend for people who want to start dipping their toe in this water but they want to be you know really responsible with their preparation yeah i think i think um well i'm a big believer that you know you you shouldn't need to rely on others to get you out of the situation um when I say that, you know, I, I think the Garmin inReach is, is a, almost like a must-have piece of equipment for anyone that's doing outdoor ventures where you could get stuck or hurt and, and need help. Um, I think, you know, it does cost a little bit of money, but to me, like, the, it's just uh, an added layer of insurance that, you know, you're not putting you're not putting other people in danger necessarily. If you do have an issue, you know, you've got that device for a reason and you can get help and it's just making it that much easier for um, any kind of search and rescue to, to find you and get to you and, and do it safely for them. Um, but as far as like learning how to do this, learning how to be in the outdoors responsibly, I think, just start off small. Um, you know, if you're looking to do a bike packing trip, then make sure you are really confident on your bike. Make sure that, you know, you're doing everything you can to enhance your skills so that you're not crashing in the middle of the wilderness and needing a rescue. You know, you're, but you're also making good decisions. Like if there's a lot of times on my Colorado trail trip, I, came across parts of a trail that I probably could have ridden, but, you know, I just decided to stop and walk that particular, particular section because that's the responsible thing to do. So it's just, you know, you do have to make good decisions. Um, I would say, you know, I grew up, my parents and I would always do outdoor things. And, you know, I learned a lot from my dad who kind of took the lead and, showed me the outdoors. Um, but you can, but I've learned a lot on my own too, just YouTubes, um, reading blogs, reading other people's experiences. Um, and I think, you know, you learn how to prevent getting into a situation that other people have gotten themselves into and, or how to get out of it yourself if you need to. So it's, it's a lot of, it's just a lot of like small steps, you know, I mean, I've been doing outdoor things for a long time. So I felt like, and, and I've had things go wrong. So I've had that experience. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, I kind of mentally make sure I go through like, what am, what's going to happen or what do I do if this happens or what do I do if that happens and sort of do scenarios in my head where I can, you know, if I need to get my Garmin inReach out, like, do I know how to use it? Do I know, 
what am I going to do if I get stung by a bee and I have an allergic reaction? Like things like that, you know, I kind of try to prep myself for as best as I can. And um, so that's, all, you know, having the right equipment, but also just going through scenarios of how you're going to deal with something if it comes up too. And then also, you know, it's incredibly important to always, if something happens, just like you don't want to lose your mental focus. You need to, you know, take it very seriously, but not lose, you know, your calm and just try to try to stay calm and try to work through anything that comes up. So I would say those are kind of the, the big things. Those are great tips. And I think the undercurrent to all of them too is just sort of your personal sense of responsibility to the environment that you're in, as well as to the people that may be trying to come find you or trying to come save you. And I think that also just speaks volumes of your preparedness. And I, it's just a good reminder for us all to not be too casual when we're preparing for events like this. Um, I was surprised at how many people were at the Grand Canyon. I don't know what I was expecting just because I'd never been there, um, but, but a lot more humanity there, certainly more towards the tops and far fewer uh, the further down you got. But it's, yeah. um, it's probably quite different from something like the Colorado Trail, where I imagine that you could go hours or days without seeing someone out there. And so it's yeah. a whole other ballgame in terms of For being sure. you know, self-sufficient, sure. self-reliant. Um, yep. You had a book in the car that you highly recommended to me, and I feel like it was somewhat on topic or on point with Outdoor Adventures. What was that called? Um. Oh, now you're putting me on I'm the sorry. spot here. Um, I might have to go down and get okay. it. I can't remember the name What's of it. What's the gist of it? You um, said it was a really great book. Yeah, it was a, it's a, it's a book I, I've read in the last year or two. It's, it's a history of the canyon. And, okay. Um, it's, it just, it goes through, like, talks a lot about the Colorado River and the dams and the history of all the dams that, you know, go all the way up, up into, I think, Idaho or even farther than that, where the headwaters are. Okay. And, um, and it goes through different people's adventures through the Canyon over time. And, um, just, just how remarkable of a place it really is. So it's, yeah, I wish I, I'm sorry. I don't have That's it. That's okay. I found it. I found it. It's called a story okay. that stands like a dam Glen Canyon yeah, and the right. struggle for the soul of the West yeah. by Russell yeah. Martin. So uh, and you really thought that was a great read. It's a great read. If you want to learn about the Canyon and the history, uh, it's a great read and I highly recommend it. Cool. Any other yep. helpful books or um, things that you've I mean, I know you mentioned you looked at YouTubes and there's obviously an unending uh -huh. resource of things on, on the Googles, but are there any yeah. books or other resources like this that have just really specifically touched you when you've been planning some of your outdoor adventures or is there a book that you picked back up, you know, more than once? That's a, that's a good question. Um, and I should have mentioned this before, and that is, you know, I've always loved adventure books. Um, and it, and I, I've read a, a lot of them and a lot of them have been, even though I'm not a mountaineer myself, I love reading about mountaineering adventures, um, because I feel like those people are incredible people. Um, looking at a book right now called between a rock and a hard place. That's by Aaron Ralston. 
Uh, he's an incredible guy. He got stuck in a canyon, had to cut off his arm in order to get out. Um, That's right. Pretty famous story That's right. that was in the news. Um, but reading a lot of these books and learning about other people's experiences and learning about, you know, things that went right and things that went wrong has really helped me also to be prepared, but also given me a lot of inspiration too, because, you know, people that I've read, you know, their stories, they're doing things that are, they're making that decision. You know, they're putting something on a calendar and, and working towards that goal and then achieving that goal. And it's, you know, we read about it, but we can do it ourselves too. So I think, you know, I find a lot of inspiration, but also a lot of knowledge and like outdoor sense from reading a lot of adventure books. So, yeah, I would say there's a lot. I mean, there, there's uh, probably one of my favorites is, um, uh, let's see here. Well, Between a Rock and a Hard Place was a phenomenal book. Okay. And then Have you ever- Ed Veaster's. What is it? He's. Um, Ed Veaster okay. is um, the first American to climb all the 8,000 meter peaks without oxygen. And he wrote a book called No Shortcuts to the Top. And it's, that book is incredible. He's just an incredible person. Um, and you learn a lot about managing risk and, and how to get yourself out of predicament mm. if you get into one reading that book, but also just inspiration so um but yeah so i would say there's a lot have you ever read to shake the sleeping self by jedediah jenkins i have not okay that's should i yes i definitely recommend that one it's a bike trip from um oregon to patagonia and he is not what i would consider an avid cyclist although he rides a bike this is this is more than just a sort of bike trip Um, But the reason I thought of that book is because he says the same thing you did in terms of kind of his first and foremost advice. And it was also the first and foremost advice you gave earlier, which is to choose the dates, put it on the calendar and tell someone. And he talks in the book about how he sets a departure date and then he tells everyone in his life that he's doing it. And then as it got closer (laughs) and closer and closer, he kind of wanted to bail because it was just feeling so daunting and overwhelming. And he's like, what the hell was I thinking? I'm leaving my job. I'm leaving life as I know it. Um, And it was really sort of his having shared it with people who were holding him accountable to himself by saying, you know, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. When do you leave? You know, good luck. Or I wish I could do what you're doing and that kind of stuff. And so he, the same thing you're saying, which is you don't have to tell a bunch of people, but you have to tell some people because then you've spoken it out into the world and it, it goes from yeah. being just an idea in your head to being reality. I think that's really great advice yeah. and the calendaring part too, so that it is not this nebulous, yeah. like maybe someday thing. It's a reality that you plan right. towards. Yep, absolutely. Very, very important to do those things. No awesome. doubt. Awesome. Well, yep. Danny, any other parting thoughts or words of wisdom you have for people that want to maybe go do something big and audacious? I say just, do it, you know, put it, put it on the calendar, tell someone and then just make it happen and you won't regret it. Awesome. No, no regrets. Yeah. No regrets. So Danny, if people want to follow you, uh, what is your Instagram account? <laughs> my Instagram, my, my very brand new Instagram account that doesn't have that much on it is Danny Harper rides. And, 
uh, it's cool to take pictures of anything outdoor related. And I love following other people that do the same. And it's, it's kind of fun. For sure. You're just, you're just building your Instagram profile with cool pictures as you're doing these neat adventures and the photos you've taken so far are really great, which is, it's fun to watch and see. And we will uh, anticipate some amazing photos coming from the Leadman events this summer as well. And it'll be fun to follow you along on that journey. So um, Danny, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.